0: Cutting edge conversations with the quant community. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Quantcast, Risk.net's podcast on quant finance. Mauro Cesar here speaking. I'm the Quant Finance Editor of Risk, And my guest today is Peter Kolm, Professor of Finance and Director of the Mathematics in Finance Master Programs at NYU's current institute of mathematical sciences in New York. Hi Peter, great to have you here. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Mario. Uh, How are you doing? Uh, Good talking to you today.
0: I'm good. I'm good. So uh, recently we published your latest work on transaction cost analysis in risk. Uh, It's titled A Principled Approach to Cleanup Costs in Algo Trading. And uh, obviously you co-authored it with uh, your colleague, Nicholas Westray, uh, who is a visiting researcher in uh, financial machine learning at Courant. Obviously, it can be viewed online in RISC.NET, and uh, it's also uh, in the September issue of uh, the print edition of RISC. In this work, you look at a relatively unexplored aspect of transaction cost analysis, so which is the cost opportunity of a cancelled portion of a trade order, uh, which is very interesting, something that I have not been familiar with until you sent us this work, um, but let's do Let's start with uh, by doing a step back, and uh, I'd like to ask you first to uh, explain the importance of uh, measuring transaction costs in asset management.
1: Uh, well, transaction costs make up uh, a big portion, of course, of of uh, of, of, of trading uh, large uh, por- portfolios, right? For buy side firms that uh, have, uh, especially firms that have very large uh, turnover, if uh, their transaction costs. Uh, uh, are in the order of uh, 20 to 30 basis points a year if they can uh, more carefully manage that and shave off a few basis points if they have very large turnovers uh, they're saving uh, millions of dollars for uh, for their clients for their uh, uh, for their investors and similarly uh, for uh, sell-side firms, right, broker-dealers that do provide uh, these kinds of algorithms uh, as as services, if they can provide better execution services for their customers, everyone everyone's happy.
0: Yeah, and uh, obviously this paper is about what you call cleanup costs, and uh, um, these are a particular co- a particular cost arising from uh, uh, orders. Uh, could you explain what uh, what? that cost is, and uh, can you make an example just to, to set the scene and, and uh, explain what uh, what we are
1: talking about here? Sure, sure. Uh, so, so cleanup cost is really a form of opportunity cost, right? So, so let's consider the following example. Let's say, let's say we uh, we have a, a buy order that we're su- sending to, uh, to, to a broker and uh, let's hypothetically say that this broker is using an algorithm that only trades uh, when, when the price is below the arrival price. The arrival price is the price that prevailed when we started uh, trading. It's typically taken at the, at the, at the mid price. Now, if a broker is using such a hypothetical algorithm that trades only below the arrival price, uh, most orders that I sent to this broker are not going to be fully executed in this case. However, those that are, they're going to be seeing uh, a negative slippage. Uh, So it's going to look like this broker algorithm is is absolutely fantastic if I'm only looking at those trades uh, that are completely uh, filled and I drop the ones that are only partially uh, partially filled. So cleanup costs refer to that opportunity cost attributed to a part of an order uh, that is unfilled. I see. Uh, what size are
0: we talking about here? So, how relevant are these costs compared to the size of the trade itself?
1: Uh, well, it depends, of course, on the types of algorithms that uh, uh, that uh, that a portfolio manager or a trader is using. How, how frequently these occur, but they're they're quite they're quite uh, frequent uh, as part of larger uh, larger firms. They're trading large uh, volumes. You're going to have. Uh, a percentage, percentage, uh, a, a larger percentage of your trades uh, or, or, uh, being, uh, being canceled or being being cancelled or being unfilled. And then you're reposting these, uh, these uh, orders maybe at a later, at a later time. And if you're not appropriately accounting for that <clears throat> opportunity cost associated with them, you, you measuring your realized transaction costs, it's going to be off, it's going to be biased.
0: I see. So, what is the purpose of the paper we just published?
1: So, the purpose of the paper is uh, to propose a a, a systematic way of accounting uh, for uh, these cleanup costs, uh, for uh, an unfilled uh, portion of an order. Uh, cleanup costs, uh, so by the way, are well-known concepts in the practitioner community, and there are a number of ways in which they're taken into account, often in an ad hoc way. Uh, and what we do in this article is to propose a, a, a kind of a canonical uh, way of, uh, of, of doing uh, uh, computing the cleanup costs.
0: I see. So uh, you you say uh, that is a very well-known concept in the industry, but I have the impression this was um, a relatively uh, niche aspect of transaction cost analysis. So you were telling me that there isn't much in the literature uh, that looks at this particular component of transaction costs. Why do you think that is the case? Have they been overlooked? Because um, the importance of it was sort of underestimated, or or is it a difficult problem to deal with?
1: So, so, so there are approaches to deal with it that are more ad hoc in nature. Uh, but what we are proposing here is a is a more streamlined uh, way of uh, of of, uh, of of dealing with it. Uh, it. It proposes a very systematic approach that, that is uh, uh, both practical and computationally uh, efficient. And uh, what's also nice, I think, with this approach here is that uh, it fits into uh, many different kinds of trading uh, frameworks, right? Um, uh, We we set this up in a very particular way, which we can talk a little bit about uh, later here uh, today. Uh, But uh, uh, one can also use this framework in other types of setup. It's very generic.
0: OK, well, let, let's go into those details. Uh, what what kind of approach did you take to quantify those uh, cleanup costs?
1: So, so let me summarize uh, what what the paper does first. I think uh, it, it might make sense to say that first. So we we first set the stage by providing a, a general definition of cleanup costs, and uh, it's a it's a generic definition that in some sense accommodates any type of trading, uh, uh, trading strategy. Okay. And, and we, ash- we show how to apply this in the context of of uh, uh, many of the common algorithms that uh, exist out there, such as uh w- or, or uh, uh, participation weighted price or implementation uh, uh, shortfall. And then we also provide a uh, numerical illustration uh, to uh, that 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 is simulated, but it's drawn from practice uh, to illustrate what these effects are and uh, uh, what different numbers you get uh, if you're not appropriately uh, accounting for this uh, uh, cleanup cost.
0: I see. And uh, more quantitatively, so how how did you structure the modeling of, of these costs?
1: So uh, the setup that we use is uh, we, we think about markets as behaving uh, following a propagator uh, type, type of model. So when, uh, when you cancel uh, an order, so when, uh, when you have an order uh, that is canceled uh, maybe halfway, halfway through, what we need to do is to uh, hypothetically impute what would that order have looked like had we actually carried it out until the uh, until the very end, and and we use a a propagator a model type of setup to uh, to impute what that execution would look like and what those uh, transaction costs would uh, uh, would look like, um, and and uh, uh, to to understand this a little bit is to say also that uh, so, so we take into account, uh, for example, the drift that may have happened during the time after the cancellation of the order, as well as the, the market impact that occurs uh, afterwards.
0: I see. And how about the the output? What what, did, what are the results that uh, you found? Did you find anything surprising um, by using your uh, setup and your model?
1: So the, 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 the takeaway, right, is that so you can you can compare uh, transaction cost analysis uh, where you take cleanup costs uh, or not take t- cleanup costs into account. And uh, we we illustrate that it can be a significant component uh, of uh, 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 biases uh, when you're not taking them into account. They can be, uh, depending on the methodology that you're otherwise using, uh, you might be off by by uh, an order of uh, 20 to 30% or so relative to uh, the true transaction cost. And that can be quite significant. Indeed, yeah.
0: Um, interesting. Uh, now, uh, if if you don't mind, I would like to switch to uh, related but not quite closely uh, topics. Uh, so you've been obviously working on uh, many aspects of uh, the buy side uh, research. And uh, in the past few years, like many of your colleagues, you have been exploring applications of deep learning in finance. Uh, One of these that I'd like to to, to bring up is NLP, uh, natural language processing, um, that uh, is used to scan through news and other uh, text-based information. And in order to uh, help decision-making in asset management, which uh, most, most commonly I think they're used for uh, build trading strategies, but I suppose also uh, in uh, risk management. And um, in fact, in, in credit, um, and I'll, I'll take uh, now a second to mention that we just actually published a work in this uh, in this space, uh, which can be found in uh, uh, in RiskNet. That is an application of NLP in uh, in credit models. Um, so. From your application of NLP, what did you find, and what type of uh, use did you make of uh, the technique?
1: So uh, so we have an ongoing active uh, research program uh, leveraging uh, NLP uh, in solving various kinds of uh, financial problems. and and in a recent article that we put out, it's it's now uh, in the Royal Society Open Science. It's available uh, on the web because uh, they have an open access. Uh, it's a paper called uh, On the Impact of Publicly Available News and Information Transfer to Financial Markets. This this was produced with uh, uh, my colleague uh, Nino Antolov uh, who is a faculty member at uh, uh, ETH in, in Zurich, and together with three uh, uh, students who did their capstone uh, project. And uh, this is one of those papers that originally started as a student project and then successfully led to uh, to to a scientific output like this, I'm 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 very happy and very thankful for all the hard work that the students did. Um, what we did in this paper was um, uh, we we curated a, uh, a a very large database of uh, publicly available news from a source called uh, the Common Crawl. The Common Crawl is a um, is an open uh, project <clears throat> where. Uh, they crawl uh, all publicly available websites for uh, that, th- that have news available and curate, uh, curate that, that uh, it's a gigantic database of uh, 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 terabytes, if not even petabytes of, uh, of, 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 data. And, and uh, we filtered that uh, data set for, for financial news uh, down to the article level. <clears throat> and yeah. then we, then we classify these articles as either having positive or or negative sentiment and then we measured uh, what impact these uh, articles uh, may have on uh, the changes in, uh, uh, in in stock prices of stocks in the S&P 500
0: uh, it, that is very interesting i always found this application very uh, very fascinating but uh, at the same time um, it, it, it makes me uh, wonder how um robust and how, you, how leading is that kind of information on, uh, on a strategy. Uh, my point is here is um, if you're basing strategies on news, you also have to account for the fact that uh, there's, there's a time between a fact and the news reporting it. Does that have an, an impact? Does that diminish a bit the, the power of uh, uh, predictors built this way?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So so I should I should say, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, that in this research project, this was not about producing, uh, a, you know, tradable strategies, it was rather just measuring these effects uh, from publicly available news data sources. There, there are many vendors out there that provide uh, machine readable news in real time, right? Uh, as as the news are being developed, they uh, uh, you know, hundreds of milliseconds later, uh, they they publish a sentiment score uh, that that hedge funds and and others can use to uh, uh, to, to trade on. Uh, we're we're using a much uh, uh, slower kind of process here. We're using just a database of news, and we're measuring the impact. Uh, uh, some impact we're measuring intraday. Some impact we're measuring over over the course of uh, of, of several days. And we simply document that there is uh, uh, that that sentiment uh, has an impact on 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 stock prices. We uh, we we don't do careful analysis here in terms of are these strategies implementable, subject to transaction costs, uh, so on and so forth.
0: I see. I see. Also, I suppose uh, one of the uh, sources of information for deployment deployment of. Uh, a strategy like this would be also a social media feed, which is you would expect that to be a little bit more reactive than the news. Do you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and there's evidence of that, right? A number, a, a, number of, a number of vendors are providing data sources like that. One of the things to keep in mind, of course, is that uh, the, the, the quality of the data, the the information that's available in the data obviously depends on where this data is coming from. Uh, from. And uh, I think the majority of us uh, would agree that uh, you know the information content in uh, in an article that maybe appears in a reputable financial journal uh, might be different than that what's coming out in uh, you know, in the. In, in the general World Wide Web on on, on social media. Uh, it's hard uh, in social media to distinguish between uh, what is really signal and uh, what is really uh, noise, right?
0: Yeah, fact and fiction. Um, changing uh, branch of uh, machine learning. Um, another type is uh, that we have uh, been working on and being reported on is uh, reinforcement learning, uh, which I see is gaining some popularity in asset management due to uh, its uh, uh, sequential uh, approach, which obviously fits well with uh, multi-period investment strategies. Uh, What can you tell us about it and uh, what kind of work have you done in this space?
1: Yeah, it's... You know, uh, uh, jokingly uh, here, I think reinforcement learning has had uh, this uh, a bit of hype, right? Uh, 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 "Quote unquote," all the cool kids are are doing it these days. Uh, But I think people are starting now to understand uh, and separating, uh, you know, hype from uh, hype from reality. uh, there are a number of really use, interesting uh, uh, use cases. So what is reinforcement learning? Reinforcement learning is really a way of approximately solving uh, uh, dynamic programming problems, whether they are deterministic or stochastic uh, 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 dynamic programming problems. And um, as 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 we know, in, in, in finance, the majority of financial decision problems there are ultimately such such problems—they—they they are are uh, 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 dynamic programming problems. We're often interested in in making decisions over a period of time, uh, maximizing some utility or maximizing some other type of uh, uh, criteria as we are interacting with the uh, uh, with with the environment.
0: I see. You seem uh, you seem a little bit skeptical about a. Let's say application in the near future of these type of
1: techniques. Um, Yes and no. I I think it shows great promise. Uh, You know uh, I I think uh, Google DeepMind uh, really showed that uh, reinforcement learning is is prime uh, for uh, for a number of applications where we have a lot of data. Right. I think uh, the majority of the listeners will uh, be familiar with AlphaGo, uh, right? A computer algorithm uh, beating the best Go player in uh, in the world, and and uh, um, uh, perhaps uh, uh, pretty uh, pretty surprising. Uh, uh, Google DeepMind was also very successful in in training a number of reinforcement learning agents to play uh, various kinds of video games, right? The video games that we played when. Uh, when we grew up when we were children Uh, so so now a a computer will beat any anyone uh, in these uh, video games now uh, uh, why is it so important um, to to understand the setup here well it's important because when we're dealing with games and video games uh, we can uh, generate as many histories as we need Uh, so as i'm learning and i'm training my algorithm uh, to get better accuracy i can generate uh, uh, as many games as I as I want and 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 train on. Uh, now if we want to apply reinforcement learning to uh, financial applications. Well, there is only one uh, history of, uh, of, of, of prices. Uh, so we very quickly run out of, uh, of, of training samples. Uh, the, the way this has been handled uh, so far is that uh, the majority of researchers in this field, they tend to generate uh, prices from uh, from some kind of stochastic process, right or it could be a neural network that is producing uh, these prices that we then uh, that we then uh, train on. Uh, but a big uh, uh, an important question is uh, how do we in, uh, as we go forward, how do we learn to train directly on on real world prices or is it good enough uh, to trade on on simulated uh, prices mm. where the simulators have been, been, been uh, in some sense, uh, fitted to uh, the real world.
0: Indeed, indeed. It, it seems like it cannot really be compared to uh, what AlphaGo did, which is playing itself million million times uh, so that it sort of learned how to play Go. Uh, in financial markets, as you say, uh, you have... Um, uh, the algo that can be trained on simulated data, but uh, and then that simulated data is simulated based on that one history that we have. Um, so I can see uh, bias uh, potentially arising, and risk uh, therein. Um, and what applications have you been working on in which you applied reinforcement learning? Can you give us a, a couple of examples?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, uh, we have an active research uh, program where we're looking at various uh, uses for reinforcement learning and finance. Uh, one area that we have published a couple of papers on is that of uh, hedging uh, 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 hedging option portfolios. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, it's, it, it's really replicating and showing that uh, a reinforcement learning agent can learn to trade uh, like black shoals or uh, other standard uh, option uh, pricing or option hedging uh, type of algorithms. Uh, but we're also uh, looking now at using uh, reinforcement learning for uh, optimal execution type of problems, as well as for uh, uh, portfolio uh, construction type of applications.
0: I see, I see. Uh, and now going back to uh, the order book and uh, deep learning applications uh, to it, uh, in what direction have you taken your recent works in the area?
1: Yeah, we have I re- have a recent uh, paper together with uh, uh, Jeremy uh, Terrell and uh, and Nick Westray, uh, that's called Deep Water Flow and Balance Extracting Alpha at Multiple Horizons from the uh, from the Limit Order Book, and and here what we do is we uh, we do take the uh, the the order book of 115 stocks on uh, on the Nasdaq. Uh, for a uh, for a thirteen month uh, period, uh, it at its most uh, granular level. Uh, so we take this order book information, all the messages up to uh, uh, ten levels of the order book, and we show that uh, you can use these messages uh, to uh, to forecast uh, mid price uh, changes for uh, for these hundred fifteen stocks.
0: I see. I see. So. I know you are not a former skeptic who has converted to deep learning methods, say, uh, but could you tell me um, what was the turning point in your uh, in your academic and uh, in the practitioner career that made you realize that there was value in these tools and you started working on them uh, more more intensely
1: so i I, I joined uh, the financial industry uh, early two thousand after completing my uh, my graduate studies in, the, in, in 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 mathematics, and I really got my finance training on uh, on on Wall Street. Uh, I was working uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, GSAM actually on the on the buy side, uh, developing trading strategies in a number of different uh, asset classes, and uh, 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 we used many of the. Uh, of the typical techniques out of the uh, quants uh, toolkit, so to speak, right? Both uh, statistical techniques, but also st- various kinds of stochastic techniques, uh, stochastic modeling. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the majority of us will say that uh, while we didn't use uh, machine learning at the time, uh, uh, these were the same ingredients now, uh that we're now using in a slightly more sophisticated way uh, as part of the machine learning uh, 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 uh tool uh, toolkit
0: tool i see i see interesting so you always had uh a latent at least uh, interest in the subject and then as materialized more
1: recently i think you know i think there's there are a number of things that contributed to that right back you know, if we're looking back uh, at, at 20-something years ago, uh, uh, while, uh, while of, of course, at that time, we thought the compute power that we had was quite impressive because we obviously look backward <laughs> and, and realize we have much faster and much better computer now than we had five years ago. Uh, uh, but there's so many things that have changed now. Uh, we have faster compute infrastructures. Um, uh, much more data is available. Uh, than we ever had before, and also many of these that were considered fairly sophisticated algorithms back in the day are now just readily available and downloadable as part of uh, uh, public uh, public libraries, making it a lot easier to adopt and use uh, in, in in any application that you have in mind.
0: Interesting. So uh, now, like you're obviously wearing the hat of uh, a course director at NYU, um. And uh, the literature on uh, machine learning, deep learning, uh, NLP, uh, reinforcement learning is, is gigantic. Um, as part of your program, uh, I'm sure you are, you are uh, including uh, machine learning and let uh, and, say uh, other branches of uh, uh, automated algorithms. How do you decide what deserves to be taught at the, at the course? And uh, how can you compress so much in, a, in a suppose, fairly limited time.
1: Yeah, that's it's a great question. Uh, let me share with you a little bit of uh, uh, the background here and how we got into also teaching some of the uh, cutting edge uh, topics in, in machine learning in the in the program I run at NYU. Uh, so it's probably almost five years ago now when we started to seriously discuss uh, you know whether we should be uh, teaching. Uh, machine learning or AI as part of the mathematics and finance uh, program, and the argument was, well, uh, why should Quant teach it? Why don't we go and have uh, the machine learning experts, uh, you know, that you typically find uh, at different companies outside of finance, or you find uh, machine learning experts at, uh, you know, the computer science department. And as we as we explore that question and, and, and uh, uh, talked to uh, many firms on Wall Street, both buy side and sell side, trying to understand, well, what are actually the tools uh, that uh, that they need uh, for for their employers to have? They're going to be working on, on, on topics like this. It, it became uh, evident that uh, you need a combination of domain expertise. As well as machine learning expertise. Uh, uh, just the machine learning expertise is 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 not enough, right? as 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 we know, uh, financial data looks very different from the data uh, that that we see in in maybe more standard machine learning applications, such as that of image processing uh, for uh, for example. So it became evident that if we were going to teach this and we decided to teach this ourselves, we should teach it from within the domain. So rather than teaching machine learning, we teach uh, financial uh, machine learning. So it's uh, directly uh, applying it to the types of problems and the kinds of data that we have in uh, in finance.
0: I see. And did you touch upon all the areas of machine learning or do you um, sort of give an overview and, and the basics and then uh, people obviously can specialize and learn the one they're more interested to
1: yeah you so as you were talking about i mean this is a rapidly developing area uh, in many in many different ways uh you know like any other any other um uh, topic area uh, w- we build it up from the fundamentals first uh, there's a certain set of uh, core fundamentals or financial uh, machine learning that we think that uh, all all students in a quant finance program should uh, uh, should know. So we focus on those things first, and then we add bells and whistles uh, to that for the ones who are interested in taking uh, uh, elective courses uh, on it. Right. So you're you're not necessarily going to walk in uh, in your first class and you're going to be talking about uh, you know convolutional neural network applied to financial data. Uh, that's not the reality. I, I, we're starting with uh, w- the uh, uh, much, much simpler uh, uh, type, of, uh, type of approaches and building from, uh, from, from there so that students really understand what matters.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, last question. What are your uh, next research projects? I mean, you've got many ongoing and many that have been completed, uh, including the one that we just published, but what's next?
1: So we're working on a number of different things. Uh, you know one uh, is we're expanding the research on uh, uh, on uh, the deep learning on uh, on order flow, um, uh, data from uh, the limit order book what we talked about uh, before that's that's an ongoing uh, area. Uh, we We have uh, a group also working on uh, applications to uh, reinforcement learning. Uh, they were looking at optimal execution type of problems. we're looking at, uh, trading uh, American options and we're also looking at portfolio uh, construction type of uh, applications. And uh, then the third area, which we also covered, um, uh, is that of NLP. Uh, we're, uh, we're now more carefully looking at uh, trading implications. Can we can we generate uh, trading signals uh, from uh, from text based information or other form of information there? Uh, they're they're extracted uh, from uh, from the news or other types of sources, and uh, also looking a little bit at the uh, the timescales over which these play out um, mm. for different stocks.
0: Peter, thanks very much for talking to us today. It's been a pleasure to have you have you on on our Quantcast.
1: Th- thank you again, Mauro, for having uh, having me on. Uh, this has been great talking to you today.
0: And thanks to everybody for listening.